You can grab a seat, grab a seat. Um, my name is Brian. I'm one of the elders here at Generations, and I'm really thrilled to be sharing with you. We're in the midst of this series called Advent Conspiracy, and a conspiracy is just a group of people who come together in harmony for one goal. And so I want you to turn to your neighbor and just say, will you conspire with me? Go ahead. Will you? And then turn to your other neighbor and say, Turn to your other neighbor and say, to make Christmas meaningful again. So say that. To make Christmas meaningful again. again. Hannah, you didn't do it. I saw that. You didn't do it. Okay. (laughs) She's like, what? Um, We are in the midst of this series, as Max had mentioned. So last week, we talked about worshiping fully and what it means to, that this season really, at at its core, everything sort of hangs on this. If we're going to do things differently, if we're really going to make Christmas meaningful, that it hinges on us worshiping Jesus. And so we talked about in the story, uh, in scripture, we see again and again the people who encounter Jesus worship him, and so should we. And And then the second one that we're gonna talk about today is spending less. And I know it's getting close to Christmas. We, hopefully we're not too late with this sermon. But anyway, spending less. And then next week, the 23rd, we're going to talk about giving more. And then, uh, and then the very last thing we'll do on Christmas Eve, which is loving fully. And so that's kind of the series we're in right now. Um, I would like to start with prayer. Would you bow your heads with me really quick and pray together as we begin? God, thank you so much for today for the chance to be together, to uh, conspire together, Uh, not just maybe in Sunday mornings, but in our lives, to make Christmas meaningful and really put you at the center of all that we do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Very good. So about two and a half years ago, um, I started to have some symptoms. Um, It started like this, that it started mostly with some memory issues. And so what happened was, Um, I would be in the middle of a lecture and I would kind of forget where I was going. I'd be in the middle of a sentence sometimes and forget what I was talking about. And I would get confused uh, and little things that I just took for granted that were fine for me all the time became a, a big deal. Like I'd forget which key goes to which door and weird stuff like that. And so we started asking some questions and started pursuing some medical advice about what could be going on. In the meantime, some other symptoms began to arise. So I started to have some pain that started to come down my left shoulder, into my arm, in my back, and we just didn't really know what was going on. So as this continued, we went to one doctor, and then we went to another doctor, and you kind of know how this works, and, and we just kind of kept pursuing this, but in the meantime, these things kept getting worse and worse and worse. And so it, it got to the place where at first it was just okay, I need to turn down some things, some opportunities that came to me, like I had some speaking opportunities, some opportunities to travel, and I just had to say no to those things. But it just kept getting worse and worse and worse, and so it got to the point where I had to say no to everything that I could and still keep my job. And so that meant things that really mattered to me, I had to quit doing, like youth group every week, and things... um, Things at work, there were meetings that I would just miss because I just couldn't be there. There was all these, and so we had all of these questions, and, and my family will tell you that they paid a price in the midst of this, even though I wanted, I, I would go home, and I couldn't really sleep, but I would lay down and pretend like I was sleeping, and I was just, I had headaches, it was miserable. And in the midst of these kinds of moments, you have these questions, like what really matters? right? What really matters? And there was no limit to the amount of things I was willing to do to try to get some relief from the pain and from the confusion, right? And you get to these places, and maybe you've been to a moment like this in your life where either you're physically 
just unable, or maybe you're economically unable, or maybe you're at a place where spiritually you're just in the midst of a crisis and you're just asking what really matters. Now, thankfully for me, we did find some answers, and about just over a year ago, I had surgery. Um, I, I had a ruptured disc in my neck and was putting pressure on my spinal column and pinching some nerves that went down. And so thankfully, we were able to find a solution. And I still forget things, but that's probably because I'm old. <laughs> but, but in the midst of this season where we're talking about who is it that we worship and what does it mean, then I think this question really is the question. What really matters? What matters to you? And maybe more importantly than just the question what matters, how do you live like those things really matter? So I'd like you to turn your Bibles with me, stay with me for a minute to Matthew chapter 11, sorry, Matthew chapter 11, if you have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen there, of course, as well, and this may seem like an odd place to start, but stay with me, and, and we'll get somewhere. So uh, Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Let me read that one more time. I, I want you to just kind of live into this, accept this promise. And maybe some of you are weary. I think some of us are. Maybe some of you carry heavy burdens. So, so hear this again. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. So this is kind of an interesting passage, and there's a really weird word in here, which is yoke. And everybody knows that's part of an egg. No, not really, that's a different yoke. <laughs> right, so a yoke is this. Some of you were slow, so thanks for waking up and catching up with me. A yoke is this, like, I don't know if you can see it says yoke up on the, on the yoke, but it's this thing that, that helps share the burden. It helps people carry this burden, and it helps even the weight out. And so in this case, it's oxen who are carrying it, but it can be whatever. But the idea behind a yoke is that it would somehow help people walk together and carry a load, share the weight of a load. Now, that kind of makes some sense, but let me be even more clear. In Jesus' day, in the rabbinic tradition, a yoke wasn't just this physical thing. A yoke was very specifically a teaching. It was a way a specific rabbi, in this case Jesus, a way a certain person, it was their teaching, their understanding of how the world works. It was a way that you live life. And so there are a lot of different yokes. There are a lot of different ways that people see the world. Yes? And there are a lot of different ways that people try to live their lives, and, but Jesus is saying something really specific. So he's saying his yoke is easy. So read it again. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, again, this teaching, this way of life upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you his light. Jesus' yoke, rest, easy, light. Later he says, don't worry, you have no need to worry. No need to be afraid. That his yoke is about caring about people and really loving people. 
So let me ask again, what really matters to you? See, it turns out that Jesus' yoke isn't the only yoke. We know this, but in Jesus' day, it wasn't the only yoke either. And so in Luke chapter two, if you have your Bibles, I wanna flip there really quick. We read a little bit of this last week, but this is part of Jesus' birth. And the, and the writer of Luke, the, Luke, the guy who wrote the book of Luke, his name is Luke. Not all books in the Bible are like that, by the way, but that one is. So Luke, he's trying to help us understand something. And part of what he's trying to help us understand is that Jesus was born in a specific time and place with specific things going on. There's a specific world he lived in. And so it just starts this way in chapter two. At that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. So he's trying to put Jesus' birth in a specific time and place. Firstly, it's in the Roman Empire, right? So there's an empire at work here. And then specifically, which Roman Empire? Caesar Augustus was the emperor. And he decreed a census. We'll talk about that in just a second. I have a friend who says that the empire is a means to take wealth and move it to those who have wealth. So in other words, to take the wealth and move it to the top at the expense of cheap labor, labor, okay? So if that's empire, I want you to think about this, the yoke of the Roman Empire. Now, some people would say the yoke of the Roman Empire, what we know about the Roman Empire today has to do with Caesar salads and... Pizza, <laughs> really bad pizza. <laughs> but there's actually a lot more going on. So what is the yoke, if you will, of the Roman Empire within which Jesus was born? Well, first, a few things about Caesar that we need to understand. Part of the message of the Roman Empire again and again and again during Jesus' day was that Caesar was divine. In fact, if you read a bunch of the literature, we could put it up, but we don't have time, but it says, they say all kinds of things, like Caesar is the son of God. They really believed that he was the son of God, that his father had been a deity, and he too was a deity. So they worshiped him just like they did the other Roman gods during this time. He was the bringer of peace. And this one's kind of funny in an ironic and terrible kind of way, right? So they said, you are the bringer of peace, and he brought peace, and this is how they brought peace. So if they wanted to take over your town or country or whatever, they would send a little messenger and he would show up and he'd say, I'm here to announce the advent, that word advent means coming, the advent of the Roman Empire, and he would actually put a physical object in the ground to declare that, and then he'd say, are you guys with me? Now, it just so happens that right behind him was in a giant Roman army standing there like, okay, here's your choice. You can either say yes, and we can do this peacefully, or... We can administer our peace upon you, right? And so he was a bringer of peace because he brought unity in some way to people as long as you did what he said, okay? And then he was the salvation of the world. Now, this is really interesting because part of the reason they said this was he had this practice, and maybe some of you know this, he had this practice during his reign where they called it bread and circus. Has anybody ever heard this before? And basically what they would do is they would throw out bread to the masses of people. They would literally feed the people, and people were glad for this. And they, the circus part was the entertainment, so they would kind of do these entertainment things, some of the Colosseum things you maybe have seen are parts of that, but all these kinds of things. And part of that was just to help make the people like him and happy with him. Now there's a question though, why would people be excited when somebody throws you a loaf of bread? 
because you need the bread to survive, right? And who puts you in a position that you need bread to survive? It just happens to be Caesar. So what does this look like? Well, the rich get richer through taxes. In, in Jesus' day, during this particular time, most people paid 70 to 90% of their income went to taxes. Let me say that again. 70 to 90% of what they made went to taxes. How many of you like that? No. Here's what they tax. They would tax grain, produce, sales tax. They had uh, occupation tax, so wherever you lived, you would pay for that. They had a temple tax where Jesus lived in, the, in Israel. They had a temple tax out pay for the building of the temple. They had a transit tax. So when you went on the road, anybody live like on the East Coast where you have to pay ta- tolls every time? It was like that, except for worse. Uh, if you had a job, you paid money just to have the job, right? And on and on, they had custom taxes. So anytime you went to a new state or a new place, you would have to declare your goods and they would take part. It was all this stuff was taxed and where did that money go? to Caesar and to Caesar's friends, right? To the rich, okay? Um, And then uh, they shared in the plunder. So the Roman Empire, as many of us know, we just talked about, they would bring the advent of of the Roman Empire. They would expand, and part of that was as they absorbed new places, they would take whatever they wanted. And who got that new stuff? Of course, Caesar and the wealthy, right? And then they would operate on cheap labor, now, part of what happened, I'm gonna read this direct quote. There's a guy named Josephus. His first name is Flavius, which I love. Flavius Josephus. I wanted to name one of our sons Flavius. I was outvoted, but anyway. <laughs> Josephus is a historian. Most of what we know about what was going on during that time comes from this Josephus, this historian. And, and he says this. He's talking about how the Roman Empire would take over places and put people into slavery and take what the other places had. And so he's talking about Africa right here, and he says, their annual produce, which feeds the entire populace and Rome for eight months of the year. In other words, they would go in and take everything that these African people had for a year, and it would be just enough to feed Rome for eight months of the year. (laughs) Right, you get this, right? So you have this yoke, that is upon them, right? This way of life. Now, people had some choices. What do I do about this? And most people accepted this teaching, this yoke, just by going along, just to be honest. They just kind of went along because what else are you gonna do? And part of it was they, they started to value some of this stuff that they had, right? And so they lost focus in what they did. And so in the midst of this, this baby is born, this baby Jesus, who is called, by the way, by Gabriel the angel when he comes to Mary in Luke chapter one, he says, you are gonna have a baby and he will be the son of God. You catch that phrase? Where else was that phrase used? With who? Caesar, right? So this was big deal, big difference. Jesus says, my yoke is rest. It's not more work. It's not more stuff. It's easy. It's light. You don't have to worry about who's gonna come knock on your door and ask for one more thing. You don't have to be afraid about a soldier standing outside your door. You don't have to be afraid. And what this is really about is about caring for people, loving people. Not about stuff, not about accumulating more, it's about stuff. So you might be saying, okay, so so what, so what? 
Well, I want to ask again, what matters the most to you? I'd like to propose today that perhaps we live in another kind of empire. And I'm not talking about our government necessarily, but what I'm talking about is stuff, right? We live in an empire of consumerism. And it has a yoke, it has a way of life, an understanding that goes with it that most of the time I'm not sure we always realize, but we feel. And in the yoke of consumer empire, it tells us this, that I, the individual, am king. And you probably are saying, no, 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 I'm king, but you're wrong, because I'm king, right? So, right, the individual is the most important thing, right? You hear this all the time. Who's the most important person? Me, of course, of course I am. Have you watched the commercials? It tells me over and over, I'm the most important person. So it must be true. I'm peaceful when I get my way, (laughs) right? When people agree with me, then then I'm really a peaceful and nice person. But otherwise, forget it, right? Have you seen my wrath when you cross me? And this empire is full of desire. Now catch this, I want you to pay attention to this. This might be your little quote for the day. But desire produces more desire. Desire never reaches fulfillment, do you know that? So when you start to pursue desire, the things that you just really, really, really want and want more and more of, it just continues to ask for more and more and more and more and more. Let me, let me break it down in some real detail. So this year at Christmas, the average American is gonna spend somewhere between $885 and $950 on Christmas, okay? Kind of a lot of money. A full third of Americans will spend at least $1,000 on Christmas, okay? A a full third. All of that adds up globally to about a trillion dollars we're gonna spend on Christmas. A trillion dollars. Stuff. More and more stuff, right? And so we live in the midst of this thing. We have so much stuff that we have to have storage units to put our stuff that we can't fit into our houses, right? You know this, yes? (laughs) We have stuff. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Do you remember, what's the number one present you got last year? Do you remember that? Just think about it. Don't say it out loud. Just think of it. What's the, the, the present you remember the most, maybe the one you wanted, whatever? Do you remember number one? Probably. How about number five? Do you remember your fifth present? How about number seven, number eight, number nine? Most of us are probably like, I... Don't know, it's just stuff, it's just somewhere there. So we live in the midst of this thing. We have so much stuff that can I suggest that when we have so much stuff, we crowd out the very voice of God in our life. We don't have room anymore to hear God, let alone hear the poor or hear the people around us that need us the most. And part of what happens when we have stuff is that we miss the point. Jim Carrey, the actor, perhaps you know who that is, he has this great line. He's very successful. I think most of us have seen at least one of his movies. Very successful. And he has this great line where he says this, what I hope for everyone is that they get exactly what they want and everything they want because then they'll realize that's not what they really want. Because he's pursued a life where he sought for a while everything that he desired, and at the end of it, what did he find? Well, the stuff doesn't matter, right? Stuff doesn't matter. So what part of what we say when we live into this kind of empire of consumerism, when we want more, 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 part of what we're saying is this, 
that we don't believe that God has what it takes to give us what we need. Scripture tells us that everything we have, God gives us. It's a gift from God. Even our ability to work and to earn things is from God. So when we say what I have is not enough, when, and Max talked a little bit about this in the 10th commandment, if you remember that, don't covet. Part of what that is is saying, God, I know that you give me things, but what you give me isn't enough. So God, you don't know what you're doing, but I do. And so let me take over here. This is, catch this. So what does this look like? Well, in our particular empire of consumerism, guess what? The rich get richer. Through taxes of all kinds, sharing and plunder. Do you know that the 1% in America, the top 1% have more wealth than the entire bottom 90% all put together? Do you think we live in an empire of consumerism? And of course, cheap labor. I don't know if you know this, but there are more slaves today than there ever have been in the history of the world. Just want you to think about that. And some of you are like, no, uh look it up, okay? It's true. And so we live in this place, in this time, in this era, and then Jesus says what? No, 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 my yoke is easy. My yoke is light. It's rest. It's don't worry. It's don't fear. It's caring about people. So I'll ask again, what matters to you? What matters the most? And how do you live like those things really, really matter? Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth, where rust and, and destroy, but instead do what? Store up treasures in heaven because where your heart is, Where your treasure is, there your heart is also, sorry. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And then he says, don't worry. Why should you worry? I care about you. You know I care about you. And he goes on to talk about the things that matter most are the things of his yoke, are the things of his kingdom. And so when we look around, I think in this particular time and place where we are, we, I think, part of what gives us disconnect in this season is we see a lot of things, people spending a lot of time and money on things that just don't matter. Are you with me on that? Like, do I really need another gift card so that I can give you another gift card and then I can forget about it and find it six months later? Do I really need that, right? See, what we're talking about is spending less. This is kind of a weird thing. So, because one of the questions is spend less than what? Less than what? Less than I did last year, less than I budgeted, less than my neighbor, which is awkward because that means then I have to ask them how much do you spend on Christmas? (laughs) Spend less than what? Well, part of it is simply this. It's not necessarily about not giving because spending less isn't about not giving gifts. What spending less is about is taking the time to really listen. And ask that question, what matters to me? What matters the most so that I can actually spend time doing the things and honoring the people that matter the most? So it means this. It means that we have to be thoughtful. And being thoughtful takes time, right? And this is part of the reason why I think it's easy to step into this empire of the consumer because it's right in front of us and it's easier, right? Click, 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 add to cart, add to cart, (laughs) But being thoughtful, what's the most thoughtful gift you've ever received? Do you remember? Whether it's Christmas or another time. When you knew somebody really thought about you. I remember when I was 16 years old on my 16th birthday, my parents uh, and some people from my church conspired together to throw me a, a surprise party. 
I don't remember a single present I got on my 16th birthday. It wasn't a car, I know that. But, <laughs> but it mattered, and I remember it because why? Because people took the time, and they were thoughtful, and they cared about it, right? So again, just asking that question, what are the things that matter most? So a few practical takeaways on this, maybe you can think about Make a budget for Christmas and stick to it. You should do it all year long, but especially at Christmas. Try to make a budget, and maybe we're too late this year, but try to make a budget and stick to it. This is what we want to try to spend at Christmas, and try to stick to it. Not that hard, but hard to do, easy to talk about. Uh, Research the companies you buy from. Are you giving money to people that you're actually proud to give money to? Look for things that are fair trade kinds of organizations, or maybe some organizations have these kind of give back policies where they give back to the people who help make manufacture the products or give back to that particular place or village or town. It takes some time to research these things, but it's really not that hard, right? But the information's out there. You just gotta look. So maybe that's a way that you can think and be more intentional about your money. Pray for the people on your list before you buy. As you're putting your shopping list together and as you're adding those things to the cart, whether physical cart or uh, online cart. Pray for those people. Just say a simple prayer. God, be, and one of the things that happens when we start praying for people is God begins to move in our heart for them, right? And we start to care for them more. And maybe God would bring up some things to you that maybe would be better gifts than just stuff. Maybe there's some other things that you could give. Notice how much you're spending, especially around Christmas and especially on the extra things. One of the things that balloons the number in the United States about the amount of money we spend per person on Christmas, one of the things that balloons that number isn't just the presents, but it's all the other stuff. Because when we're out shopping, then we gotta go out to eat, right? And some of us like this policy where I buy one for you and one for me, and one for you and one for me. (laughs) And, And we buy some stuff for ourselves, and sometimes we buy new outfits and Christmas sweaters, ugly or awesome, but nonetheless. Right? And so we buy this stuff. So maybe just taking a look at some of that other stuff and trying to cut out at least one of those areas might be a, might be a way to cut down. And then as a family, set an amount that you're going to spend on each other. This will require communication <laughs> and a little bit of planning. But what's amazing if you do this is how creative people can be with a limited budget and how oftentimes those gifts become more thoughtful because you, you're kind of trying to strive to give as much as you can for this little bit amount or whatever amount you get. And so I just think, I encourage you again to think that way. So part of what we're talking about in spending less is, is not about not giving. In fact, next week we're going to talk about what it means to really give more. But what it's really about is asking the question, what am I, is, are the things I'm spending my money on just stepping into this yoke of consumerism, this teaching, this way of life that just says I consume, therefore I am? Or am I willing to step into something where I actually live like people matter and my resources matter and I live in a way that where things really matter? This is the question.